Now he's here to save us from the daily continuing battles of flesh, of the world, of strange doctrines, of sadness and hopelessness, fear and anxiety. Call upon the name of the Lord. He's here right now. And Christ does what he does best. He saves his people because he delights in us. For no other reason, Christ delights in you. Father, we ask you to come into our life, wherever it is in our lives, that need a continuing deliverance. Help us, Father God. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Take a moment. Todd, Ken, thank you for leading us in worship. I will continue to speak on church life, church dynamics. You can open up to Hebrews chapter 13 with me. We'll start in verse 1. Jack, I don't know if I told you that. Wonderful. Could you read with me? Let brotherly love continue. Do not, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have no benefit to those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for the sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For, he has, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Father, like always, God, we, we humbly ask you to open up our minds and hearts to understand the scriptures, Father God. It is your word to your sheep, Father God, for all men in every century, Father God. And we thank you that 2,000 years later, we are reading the sacred text and depending on the Holy Spirit to illuminate our lives and see the relevance for us today. For as the scripture teaches us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In your name we pray. Amen.
Jack, if you don't mind putting up a running commentary. There we go. Back to our friend. As I've shared over the last month, I've been wanting to speak on church dynamics, church life, everything that the best we can, what's important about church life and come together with our gifts and talents as we worship God, that God is glorified. As many diverse people come together, redeemed by the blood of Christ, that's our common denominator, we glorify God in unity and diversity as we grow and so on and so forth. I've been speaking about these things and as I've been working on this, you know, I ran into Times Square, our friend, I've been using this as a running commentary. This is the man, I still haven't got back there to take a picture of the other side. Uh, but if you've been here for the last month, I've been using this. Of course, it's theology. If you turn to the living Jesus, you'll be saved. That's good theology. No matter what you've been through or done, he'll forgive you. That's good theology. Uh, he starts missing the point that church is a scam. Unfortunately, parts of church life is a scam. It's unfortunate. The other side of the sign, which I'll try to get up to Times Square this week and see if our buddy's still there, if they haven't thrown him out. But it says, you don't need a local church. And you don't need a local pastor. So, I've been speaking into this and just using this as a running commentary. And uh, this man's sign really does, it's a commentary, it's an unfortunate commentary on the sentiments of many Christians who uh, ignorantly would never agree with that in theology. But in practice, we can make it sound like church life is not that important, or leadership is not that important. That's why I chose our text in Hebrews today. It's all written around, imitate your leaders, obey your leaders, uh, respect your leaders, so on and so forth. I'll get into this as, as the message goes on. But as I was teaching from Ephesians, that what's at stake here is God's honor. It's about God. It's not about us. Church is not about us. Even my personal salvation is not about us. It's to the glory of God. We have to find that out. It's to see how God and his, uh, his power and his wisdom has redeemed the people for himself and that we come together and we demonstrate a genuine love for one another, a genuine care for one another. We work out our differences with fear and tremble, and we the church is a test tube of personalities. We're a hospital that still needs to be healed, amen, unless you're, you're perfect, I'm not sure. I know I still need to be healed on my inside, and so on and so forth, and dealing with the inner attitudes. And uh, so I, I want to continue with this uh, as we continue to grow in, in the image of Christ, okay? Last week I closed with a statement. <coughs> I closed with a statement. To the, to the degree we value church life, being a member of a local church, to the degree we value that, and to the degree we value the leaders God has given us within the church structure, we value our own souls. It might sound very heady, it might sound very philosophical, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll teach from the scriptures today and I think I'll make the point more clear today. Okay? Uh, this is important to us. Because church is not about the pastor trying to get a congregation so they can feel good about themselves. We, we don't find any security. Our security is in Christ and Christ alone. That is it. We don't look to people to affirm us or affirm our, our ministry. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that says, well done, good and faithful service. While we're here being faithful, God will one day reward us with those wonderful and tender words. Well done, good and faithful ministers of the gospel who did not stray into various and strange and diverse doctrines, but strengthened my people's souls by the doctrine of grace and grace alone. 
in verse 17, it talks about the leaders. Can we put verse 17 up there? Actually, today is just an introduction into this chapter, and I'll speak about it as the weeks go on. Take some time off for, uh, for Christmas. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch. Can you say what that says there? I'll leave it at that. Watch over your souls. Chances are not too many Christians have ever thought seriously about their soul. Has anybody woke up and spent any considerable length of time in a day or a week or a decade of your life considering your inner person? Do you give it much thought? Chances are you don't. But I'll tell you who does. Me and John. We think about this. We are called to a high calling. All Christian ministers are called to a very, there is no higher calling whatsoever in the universe than the governance of another human being's soul. If we're talking about just, you would think, uh, you know, maybe watching over my money, more people are concerned about who's watching over the money than who's watching over the so, if we put as much emphasis into the portfolio of our soul as we do in our inheritance, as we do in our uh, 401ks and, and our retirement plans, we'd understand something about the soul. But chances are many Christians don't think about this. But this is our job. The word soul, the Greek word, is where we get the, we get the English word psyche from. It's the inner person. It's the inner self. It's the personality. It's, it's, it's the id, if we want to call it. The psychology calls it over here. And I don't want to get too psychological, but I want to spend a moment, I want to spend today speaking about the soul and the value of the soul. We need to know what Christ died for. Christ died to redeem your soul. That God created man in his image. He breathed into us the breath of life. And man became a living being or a living soul, created in the image of God. You are uniquely and fearfully made, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, that we are not like the brute beast in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. That on the last day, on that day that God made man to rule over the brute beast, he made man in his image. You are unique in all of God's creation. You and I are the pinnacle of God's wisdom and power and not just that he put into us that which he put into nothing else in the universe his own image to value the instructions of the writer of Hebrews on the point of leadership in chapter 7, 13, is surrounded by verse 7 and 17. It's about leadership. And what their job description is, is we need to understand, we really do, the value of our own soul. And if you're not sure what the soul is, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to ponder it, and then I'll tell you. I'm going to take a sip of water. I can see everybody theologizing. I can see everybody philosophizing. I can see smoke coming out of your ears. It's about this time you're giving up, you're thinking about the football game. The soul is made up of three faculties unique to human beings. 
It's the mind, the intellect. It's the emotions or the affections. And it's that will. That at the end of the day, we determine what we're going to do. Those are the three faculties of the soul. That's unique to human beings. So when we're created in the image of God, God has given us the ability to think the way he thought, to think his thoughts, to love his thoughts with our affections, our emotions, and then to obey his will. That's what the soul was created for. That's what Adam was created for. Adam dropped the ball. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, did not. And now God is redeeming the value of the soul. It is sacred. If we spent as much time and energy on our soul as we do on our outward appearance and losing that last five pounds so we can get into the skinny bathing suit body, if we put that kind of much energy into the soul, you would be very happy in this world. Because all contentment, genuine contentment, comes through our vertical relationship that God has with the soul. And it's interesting, I was talking about this, and, and I'm pondering this high thought over here, and I'm speaking to one of the sisters earlier, and she's talking to me about her soul, and I'm like, praise God, confirmation on my son. And then we're singing how beautiful one, my soul sings to you, these great intangibles of the mind, the affections, and the will. These are the intangibles that make us human beings. Otherwise, we would be just like brute beasts. We'd be driven by passions and and, and just the, the, the desire just to make it another day. But we have the ability to genuinely worship God. And this is what our our writer in Hebrews is talking about here. This is why Christ came to redeem us. Let me give an analogy. To try to help us. We are so used to the outside person. We are so used to getting our physical body ready to go out and meet the day. There's a certain look. There's a certain uh, way we want to present ourselves. And we'll go to hard lengths to make sure that we look a certain way before we even think about going out into the world. Isn't that true? See, that's the outer man. We, we do everything we can to take care of the outer man. But the outer man is only there to, to house the inner person, the person that is created in the image of God. I can tell you, God doesn't have blue eyes. Jesus doesn't have blue eyes. In his earthly body, yeah. But remember, God is spirit. Let's not get away from this. God is still spirit. And God is concerned with the inner person. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4 and around verse 24. To take off the old man and put on the new man who's created after the image of God in true holiness and righteousness. These are the great intangibles of the Christian faith. We spend so much time on the outer person. And if we use a nutritionist... The nutritionist goes a little further than the outer person. He starts to deal with what? What's going on on the inside? Are we eating well? Are we taking care of our body? Is the food we eat uh, uh, making our heart work harder? Or is it making our heart work better? Nutrition is for the inner physical person. Well, the leader of the church is called for by God to uniquely take care of that which no man knows anything about is the soul. That's created in the image of God. To bring us back into the image of God. Being created after the image of Jesus Christ. He's out to make us whole again. 
And if you're not sure about wholeness in the Hebrew, it means happiness. To be totally whole, to be happy with God, to be happy in this life, to be happy with self. You're not going to find it anywhere else but the gospel of Jesus Christ. No kind of behavioral modifications ever going to make you happy. It's never, ever going to work. It's only when my soul sings how beautiful he is and knows it beyond a shadow of a doubt. All true, genuine contentment of life, which is the soul's highest aspiration, only comes from Jesus Christ. That is it. But our friend says in Times Square that we don't need leaders who are called, designed, the divine design to watch over our souls. You don't need the spiritual nutritionist. You don't need the spiritual trainer. You don't need the spiritual coach. You can do it all by yourself. Even though God has gifted the church with pastors and apostles, evangelists, and teachers, and so on and so forth, you don't need them. You, you can do it all yourself. And you say, Brian, I would never agree with that. But then I ask the question, why so many Christians, church life, is so inconsistent. Again, so as much as I value church life, and as much as I value leadership in my life, is how much I value the inner person. If someone would come to you and say, you know something, I'll give you free training for a year. Five days a week, you come to the gym, anytime you want, I'll train you two hours a day for a year. And then the nutritionist says, I'll show you how to eat for a year. I will come into your house, I'll knock on your door, and I'll feed you five meals a day. People pay for that, you know. I'll deliver it to you so you can be, you can look better. Few people would say no to that. Because we're so superficial, that's the first thought. But if someone, is, if God were to tell you, you know, I'm going to give you the body of Christ. I'm going to give you leaders over your life to take care of your soul. You'd be like, well, that's not important to me. I'm trying to use the contrast over here to show you that the soul is so undervalued even by the Christian. Do you know when we stand before Christ, every moral failure is taken care of. God will never, ever hold a moral failure against us. The blood of Jesus Christ has secured our salvation from every moral failure there can be. But I will give an account, as a a pastor, how I fed the sheep and how I fed my own soul. The character I bring to Christ, God will analyze. What kind of Christian were you? What kind of love did you generally have for my people and for my word? How much did you generally love holiness and sanctification? How much did you like being different in this world? God will analyze us. I cannot take that off the plate. You will stand before Christ and you will give an account. There will be no fear involved. But I do know we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an analysis of the why of our life. Please don't miss this. I know it's a little, a little we'll call it psychological, but understand something. It's not what we do. It's why we do it. Why we do anything will be analyzed by the Lord. Did Christ in the gospel 
Did that alone put me on the road of righteousness? Was that my sole motivator was to please him who died for me? The Apostle Paul says it this way. He goes, I am fully convinced once and for all that if one man, Christ, should die for all the church, then all those he died for, you know me, should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That is the sole motivating impetus of the Christian life. It's the why we do anything. And every week, me and John come up here, every Monday night, every Thursday, every visit to the hospital, every visit to the home, every hour in counseling, every time we come and preach a sermon, everything we do in fellowship, every time we have a cup of coffee, every time we pray with somebody, it's for that sole reason of building up the inner man to stand before Christ on that day. That's my job. That's John's job. That's the church's job. But we we don't value it. I can tell you from my own personal experience how much you're looking at a man that rarely can read the word of God or rarely read uh, the authors I read and not cry. I am just totally overcome by Gratefulness for the shepherds of my soul. The Apostle Paul is a shepherd of my soul. Christ is a shepherd of my soul. Peter, the writer of Hebrews, Calvin, Luther, they're, they're guardians of my soul. When I listen to John MacArthur, when I listen to R.C. Sproul, they're guardians of my soul. They feed me, they nurture me, they make me feel close to Christ. I want to live for Christ when I hear God's leaders. I submit my soul to their authority. Voluntarily, I sign on no dotted line. I can recognize the authority of God in another man's life. And I gladly submit to it. And from that, I receive their teaching. If you want to receive the prophet's reward, you have to receive the prophet. So I have a concern that our friend in Times Square that we would never agree to. It's almost like the attitude of our heart. If we're not careful, we can make church just an optional thing to do. And again, I don't want, God doesn't want you going to church. I don't want you going to church. God wants you and I want you to recognize that you are the church. And you have a vital relationship to the church. You have gifts and talents that I need. I have gifts and talents you need. We come together and we mutually edify and encourage one another and strengthen one another. And in this, God is deeply glorified. Do you know God is not concerned with any affairs of this world and its men? God is concerned with this and this alone. Salvation granted to sinners, free and full in Jesus Christ, and then the oversight of the soul. That's what God's concerned This world will never have the peace it seeks until they bow the knee to Christ. We know this scripture in verse, in chapter 4 of Proverbs, 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart, the word heart is the Hebrew word for, or Greek word psyche, for, for the inner person. 
And what we realized reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the inner person, that's our personal disposition. That's what makes you, you. It makes me, me. We're all created in the image of God. But guess what? All our personal dispositions are different. We are the same in one regard and totally different in another regard. We might have certain attributes that represent and look like each other, but understand, you are John Verdi, I am Brian Martin, you are who you are, and God knows that you are totally, absolutely, wonderfully unique in the eyes of God. But you're also fragile. Oh, very fragile. The inner person, because of the fall into sin, very, very, very fragile. Delicate. Like a rose. Like a newborn bird. You gotta hold it with kid gloves. The leader is supposed to treat God's people as delicate, as fragile, as created in the image of God. With tenderness and mercy and compassion. We are to take the truth of scripture and what Christ has done. And slowly lay it at your conscience. And encourage you to live for him who died for you. And to do this week in and week out. And encourage you to be part of the family of God. Never to go to church talking to Pastor John early and he was sharing about some of the comments on upstairs in the Bible study and it's you know coming to church and, and to how to receive from the word how to listen to the word of God how to hear the voice of God in the word that's specifically for you if someone's preaching and they're faithful to the text if someone's preaching and they're faithful to the truth listen to me your soul needs to hear it when I prepare a lesson Please understand this. I prepare a lesson knowing that your soul has to hear what the text is saying. It's not an option. There's something about it I know that you might not know. You need to hear what God is saying. And I want to speak to that part of you that wants to serve God. You are born again. I'm not going to come here and say, would you please obey God? God never begs his people to obey. He just proclaims. And then we come in order. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For out of the flow of the springs of life, this inner person is delicate. This is, a, this is a heart matter. You know, when I think about this, when this inner person, you know, when, as we dress up and we go out and we put on our face on and we, and we try to meet the world we, the way we want the world to perceive us, that's what we do, don't we? We want the world to perceive us a certain way. So we go out and meet the world. But husbands and wives know each other too well. We can't play that game. Best friends can't do that. Sisters, and I noticed from Terry and Kim, they can't do that. They know each other just too well. To really have someone understand who you really are. See, God knows that. That real person, that constant dialogue. Who's got the dialogue that's going 24-7? See, that's our soul. Our job as leaders, 
who fully know that I have to give an account of the stewardship of souls given to me. If God was to take me home now, I would have to give almost a 30-year stewardship of how I handle the Word of God and God's people. That is frightening to me. James talks about this. Be careful not to take on the role of a teacher, not knowing that he who teaches will be held in higher account. We take our job extremely serious. But our friend in Times Square says, you know something, you don't need the pastor. Sometimes I won't go to church once in a year because, you know, I don't need to hear pastoral authority. I don't need to sit under a pastor's leadership. I don't, I don't have to sit under their gifting. You see, we won't agree theologically with the sign, but our behavior shares those sentiments. Let me tell it another way. Are you a Christian? You belong to church every Sunday as a member of the body of Christ. You should come out to hear the word of God as God was directly speaking to your soul. Wherever and whenever a Bible study is offered in the breaking down of God's word piece by piece, you should be there listening to it. We should do everything we can to make ourselves readily available to hear the word of God. And so take care of my soul the way I would take care of my outer person or I would take care of my nutritional needs. We should not put soul life as, as an alternative third or fourth in the priorities of life. It should be the number one priority of life for out of it flow the issues of life. I ask you where you are today. Is life joyous, happy, and free? Are you in a place that says, Lord, my soul delights in you? Are you in a place that rejoices? If you are not, then I can tell you right now, your soul has not been satisfied with Christ. You can be a Christian and unfortunately still not be satisfied with Christ. That's the leader's job. The soul that needs to be nurtured and strengthened needs to be protected. Again, this is just an introduction into these 17 verses. I will spend more time breaking it verse by verse next week. But this is the leader's job. I know and John knows when we come to church that life hangs in the balance. This is no just, you know, what could you say, some sort of just throwing some food at you and if you get it, you get it. No, I truly believe I am looking out for the welfare of your soul. I genuinely want to know where you're going to be in five years. Does anybody ask where I'm going to be in five years? Honestly. I do. I want to know where you're going to be in five years. I do not want you going around the same mountain again and again and again and not changing in your life. I take your soul very seriously. I pray for you. John prays for you. We pray for you. We want you to grow into the image of Christ. Paul calls this something. He calls laboring until Christ is formed in you. That is our job. I think of some of the young parents we have. Uh, Lewis and Melissa now have three little baby boys. Their life is not theirs anymore. The tiredness on their face shows that my life doesn't belong to me no more. It belongs to three little boys who now run everything. But those three little boys are not looking at where they're going to be in a year from now. Never mind where they're going to be 20 years from now. But a thinking parent, not a biological mother and father... People, mothers and fathers can biologically have children, but parenting 
is totally different. Parenting is rolling up your sleeves. Your life is not your own anymore. The rest of your life is to the service of your children. The leader's life in the Christian church doesn't belong to themselves no more. It belongs to the service of God's children. I am concerned where each and every one will be in their Christian walk two years from now, five years from now. I am concerned for that. I want to see you grow strong in the Lord. This is our priority. And the call to leadership and the call to pastor, which our friend sends you don't need anymore, is a gift. It's a calling to the church. No man should ever take upon themselves the role of preaching and pastoring unless they are called to this unique vocation. You never want to sit under a teacher and a pastor that's not called to it. They will not be overlooking their souls. They will be looking over their own ambitions. The text points us to several things that the leader has to look over. Of which I will speak about next week. I'll mention a couple of them. What John preaches next week, the week after. I just saw him tell the king. The first thing is to, as he calls morality, to keep marriage dignified, to not defile the marriage bed with fornication and adultery. That's just the principle on morality. The leader's job is to feed your soul so we are not caught up in the immoralities of the world. That is a soul killer. When a Christian falls into sexual immorality, understand something. There is such a damage to the soul. Forgiveness, God forgives immediately upon repentance. But the consequences. Do I need to point this to David? Was he forgiven? A man after God's own heart? But his whole house and his whole ministry suffered for the rest of his life. There are certain consequences. There's not just the growth of the soul and morality, there's the safety of the soul. He says, do not allow yourself to be taught strange and diverse teachings, but it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. The soul has to be fed on a consistent nourishment of a proper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace principle. Anything outside of that will get people going in the wrong way. And understand something. Know you are born again and know you have received the Holy Spirit. I can tell you right now, it takes a long time to study, to show yourself approved, a workman not ashamed of the truth Rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes time. It takes energy. And it takes calling. Because it's not about just a bunch of head knowledge. It is about a heart to heart. A genuine love for God's people. And you do not want to miss out on that. The leader is called to watch over the soul. How it grows morally. And how it follows strong teaching. 
We have another thing here called to suffer outside the camp. The soul has to know how to deal with rejection in this world because of your Christian faith. Many souls are turned upside down because our family and our friends and our co-workers don't want to hear about this Jesus that saves us. They want nothing to do with it. And so what the leader is doing here is saying we have to go outside the gate and suffer the reproaches of Christ. I can't have one foot in the Christian church and try to have compromised my life with everything else around me. Can't do it. It's either Christ outside the gate or there is no salvation. Salvation is found outside the gate. That's the way the Bible teaches us that when Christ went outside the gates of Jerusalem and he suffered on the hills of Calvary, he went out as a criminal. They threw him out of Jerusalem. They were saying, we want nothing to do with you. And that's what happened to Christians 2,000 years ago. When you became a Christian, they disowned you immediately. The soul has to know. How do you deal with that? I've seen lives turned upside down when their family rejects them because of their newfound faith. You need a leader in your life. You need a teacher in your life. You need a pastor in your life. You need a church in your life to support you through those worst times. But our friend says you don't need that. God says you do. Our friend says we don't. The soul needs to know how to have patience and perseverance under the worst times. Because we're waiting for a city that has no end, as our verse 14 says. Every time we come together in worship, every time we come together and hear the gospel, every time we come together and encourage one another, we're pointing to the city that will never end. In this world, we'll never have an eternal city. This world and everything in it is passing away. And I have to know for my own soul's sake, and I have to know for your soul's sake, how to point men to the everlasting city and to live in patience and perseverance until Christ comes back again. And one of the strongest things here, imitate your leaders who first preach the word to you. Do you know... Jesus teaches us constantly at the end of his ministry that he who perseveres to the end shall be saved. He who perseveres to the end shall be saved. See, Jesus gave us just a snippet on that. But the whole book of Hebrews, all 13 chapters, is dedicated to persevering. The whole whole book. It takes that whole theme... Because you know why? It's easy to forget when we first got saved just how magnificent, just how wonderful, just how eye-opening, just how liberating, just hearing about Jesus meant to us. And then all of a sudden life's distractions come in and rejection comes in and immoralities come in and strange teachings come in and the Christian just what? Fades away. It's the leader's job to go after the sheep. It's the leader's job to remind us. It's the leader's job to go after that one that left the fold. That's our job. And when you're part of a local church, if and when, and I hope it doesn't happen to anybody in this room, 
Because our what? Our heart is prone to. And because our heart is prone to wander, you need a shepherd to be there. So when you wander, because I'm going to tell you right now, when you wander, you never wander back. Someone has to go back and get you. When people wander, the scriptures never say they wander back. It's the shepherd. It's the leader who loves your soul more than you love your own soul. Who spends time praying for you and caring for you. And then comes out and reaches out for you. I remember as a karate student, this happened to me in football twice. It happened to me in karate. I would get right to the pinnacle of, of, I remember I just, I went all the way to just about get my black belt. I was only a year away. I put so much hard work and I just quit in my heart. I just quit. And after about three months, my teacher, Brian, that's how he spoke. That was his job. Brian, where you been? Get back here. That's all I needed. I needed to hear that come back because I didn't want to go back. I put so much hard work, but yet he called me back, and I needed that in my life. That was a turning point. That phone call was a turning point in my life. I remember playing football. I went through the hardest part of the football, (coughs) and I quit. I'm all potted up, all stoned out. Who is my football coach? What are you doing? Get your gear and get to practice. I never turned back. I needed that in my life. Do you know spiritually we need that? Spiritually we need to knock on the door. Spiritually we need people to come after us. You know why? Because you cannot and I cannot do it alone. Please understand something. I will break down this text more as the month goes on and next month goes on. But please understand something. We need leadership in our life. We need brothers and sisters in our life. These are people that watch and are concerned over the welfare of our soul. I have to give an account of my soul to God. And I will not enjoy this life unless my soul is being nurtured on a daily, weekly basis with other believers. And by people that can break down the word of God so I can get away from strange doctrines. And I can hear about who this God is that died and loved me on my behalf so I can live for him. I need that. You need that. We need that. This is the Christian faith. But our friend says you don't need that. All you need is Jesus. Let me tell you something. To be saved, all you need is Jesus. To grow, we need each other. Father, we love you. We come before you, God. I pray that somehow, some way, you can do some some justice to what I have said. These words, Father God, as I just preached from my heart, Father God, as I try to capture the mood of the writer of Hebrews, Father God, and to obey the leaders you have put over us, Father God, as we are guardians of their souls, Lord God. So, Father God, I just pray that this week, Father God, we take an inventory of just how much church life means to us, just how much leadership means to us, and to evaluate and say, you know something? Help me, Father, to up my game in this area. In Jesus' name.